Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And then down in verse 21 we read, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right. You know something's up when I'm bringing my pulpit here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Lots of verses. As I put out on the, on the email, there is a lot of verses today, okay? So just a warning, 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 alert, alert, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, you've got the, the references of where we're going to go, and we're going to be going to a lot of places today, okay? As we've been studying the book of Luke, um, we've saw from chapter 1 that God sent the angel Gabriel both to Zechariah um, and to um, Mary, with the, the message of his redemptive plan getting ready to come to pass, and that he was going to use them individually in the, the fulfillment of this redemptive plan. So he comes to Zechariah, he shares the message, Zechariah is doubtful, so he wants it becoming a sign in and of himself. Mary, she doesn't know, she's wondering how this happens, she's told how it's going to happen, and she just accepts it and she moves on. So from there then, um, we spent the last two t- messages looking then at the birth of John. And the first part was the Mary's visit there. And the, again, just the excitement that John, at six months-ish, in the womb, a fetus, according to the standards of the world, gives glory to, to Jesus, who's still potentially less than a month old as a fetus, in the womb as well. And so, just an amazing thing. But then, um, the, the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth, and when she gives birth, there's this concept of naming the baby, right? And so everybody wants the, the baby to be called Zacharias, but she says, no, the baby's name is going to be John. Well, they're still not content with it. So they turn to Zechariah to ask him what he's going to say. And so he gets a pad to write on. He writes on it. His name is John. And from that moment, his mouth is opened up and begins to give a, a praise and a prophecy uh, to God and from God regarding what all is going to happen. And if you remember when we talked about this last week, I mentioned that how important it was that the, the, the life of John, that the birth of John was miraculous. Okay, From the perspective that it gave him then this, when he comes to his ministry, everybody already knows that this is a special child. And so when he begins to wear the camel hair and eating locusts and he's out in the wilderness and he's beginning to to proclaim this message of repentance, people come to him because they already know 
God's done something miraculous in the life of this child. Well, then it's John who's going to declare Jesus to the, to the world. And so that's critical. That's very important. However, as we're going to see in a few weeks from now, we're going to talk about, look at Simeon and Anna, okay? And Simeon and Anna are going to be waiting for the birth of Jesus. There is so much in God's word that gave um, witness to the coming of Messiah and even the timing of the coming of Messiah that the people, if you would, at that point were without excuse for missing what was getting ready to happen. And so our passage today, where we come into Luke chapter 2, it begins with this statement, and it came to pass. And then down in verse 6, so it was. And each of those words is the word egoneto. Now, egoneto is, is, is a commonly used word. It just means it came to be. It came to be. But the idea is that it's part of life. If you were, in, in of the usages of this thing, Luke is the, the major u- user of this term, okay, as he's writing things down. And it just happened to be. It came to be. It came to pass. And in life, as we describe things, we talk about things just what? They just happened. We talk about things as kind of like a coincidence. And so as we look at life, we look at them through a pair of glasses. And as we look at it, sadly, most people look at it through the lens of the world. They look at it from a secular point of view, and they look at things from the world's perspective, and these things are just purely coincidence. They're coincidental. They coincide in some manner. Ah, you know, could it be something? It could be something. Ah, maybe it's not. It just happened to be. However, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be looking at things theocentrically. Theocentrically, and that means that God is the center of everything that you're looking at. So kind of like the testimony with gospel-centric. And the idea is that everything I think, everything I say, everything I do is God-focused. And that's part of the Shema. If you think about, go, you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Jesus said that the most important passage in the entire Bible is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. We know that because he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. Okay? And that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, part of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh your God, Yahweh is one. And you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts. And I'll stop for a moment, I'm going to come back. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the men. He's not talking just to the entire nation. There's 1.5 million people that are there. He's not talking to them all. He's got the men together, and he's talking to the, the men at this moment. He's telling the men, you need to have a proper faith, and if you have this proper faith in Yahweh, who is one, then you're going to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to hide these words that I'm teaching you to say in your hearts, because these aren't just my words. These are God's word. And then you will teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in the house or whether you're walking in the way, whether you're lying down or whether you're rised up. You're gonna, you, men, are going to be loving God. You're going to hide God's word in your heart. And you're going to teach them to your kids, no matter where you're at, no matter what time of the day it is. And then you shall bind them as a sign upon your hands, and you shall put them as a frontlet between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and on your, your gates. No matter what you are doing, the word of God ought to govern it. No matter what you're looking upon, no matter what you're thinking about, the word of God ought to govern it. No matter what goes on in your house, the word of God ought to govern it. No matter what goes on in your property, the word of God should govern it. You need to be theocentric 
in everything you do. God's truth isn't compartmentalized. So we laughed. Um, Justin's not here. He must have went over to the other side. But most people will come to church today, not necessarily this church, but just all churches, right? And, and they'll set aside, they'll carve out an hour or two for God. And then they're going to go back on with their life. Because I gave God his, his two hours, and now the rest of life is, is mine to do what I want with. But that's not the case. God is at work all the time. And what we think, it just happened to come to pass, and I don't mean that that's the way Luke meant it, but it, that's what hit me as I was studying um, for this a couple months ago, and I'm preparing messages and that kind of stuff. This is just what hits me. Like, this isn't just it happened. This is something that God has prepared for a long time. For thousands of years, this moment has been incubating. And so we're going to look today at a lot of prophecies regarding the coming of Christ. That again, this wasn't haphazard. This wasn't all of a sudden God said, ah, man, this world has really gotten bad. What am I going to do? Oh, I'll go down. We'll take care of it this way. But no, rather, as we know from the book of Galatians, and we begin to look at then from the birth of Christ, Galatians 4, verses 3 to 7 says, even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of this world, but when the fullness of the time had come, Pleroma, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so you can see, I have... Two words highlighted there. I've got pleroma and chronos, or chronu there because it's a genitive. But when the fullness, pleroma, and so if you've been here long enough, you know the word pleroma, okay? It's like a, you have a, a, a glass and you're pouring water in it. How much water, a goblet, whatever, okay? How much water can you pour in that goblet? All of it. All of it and actually what? More than it. You can, because of hydrogen bonding, you can actually have more in it that it's actually uh, bibbing over the top. And so if you would see it from the side, the water actually would be crested over top of that. But if you add in one more drop, do you know what happens? It all spills out over. Not just one drop spills out over, but now that whole crest spills out over because you broke the bonding. Okay, it's called hydrogen bonding. Pleroma is that cresting. When no, not another drop will fit. Chronos is you have a chronometer. We don't wear them anymore because we now have our chronometers in our phones, right? And so a chronometer is a measurement of time. Well, there are two words for time in the Greek, okay? And so the chronos is the word for what we consider clicking of time, not just events, okay? And so what we're told that in the hourglass of life, not another grain of sand would drop, that God knew how many pieces of sand in his hourglass of life there would be when Jesus came. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. 
He sent him forth. He wasn't just an, oops, wow, she got pregnant. Let's say she's a virgin. Let's pretend she's, he's the Messiah. It didn't happen that way. In this very moment, God's redemptive plan had a schedule point. Google Calendar was going off. God doesn't need Google Calendar, does he? And it was happening. So, as we go into this, we got these prophecies regarding now the birth. First of all, we got regarding his lineage, okay? And you can see where the fulfillment is coming up in there. But the first thing we want to do is look at from Adam. And you'll note what I have on this. This is kind of fun. When, who wrote it, and how long, how long before Jesus it came? So this is probably Moses, and I say probably. I know it comes from the, we say that Moses wrote the five, first five books, but he potentially had a scribe, and we know that he was dead when the book of Deuteronomy was finished. And so potentially then you have um, one of Aaron's sons um, being his scribe for him, okay? And so, but this is from, from Moses, and so this is about 1,300 years prior to Jesus, okay? So I want, I want you to think of the weight of this as we begin to just start inundating you with all these prophecies, okay? And how many years before this actually happened that these things were being described, okay? First of all, um, back in Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 15, now I say 1,300 years, but you know that this is 4,000 years that, that it was spoken, but, but we're going to be honest and we're going to be conservative here that, that it wasn't recorded necessarily back in the garden, Right? So I can't say that this actually happened 4,000 years, although it did. This was 4,000 years before Jesus, okay? But Moses recorded it 1,300 years before Jesus. So there was 2,700 years that happened before God gave Moses the, the, the word, the prophetic word, in order for him to write it. Are you tracking with me on that one? So fair advertisement, right? Okay? All right? So, and I, so this is right after the fall. God's speaking to, to Satan, and he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, God's beginning to reveal that he has this redemptive plan, and that he already has established that there's going to be a time when a seed of a the seed of a woman is going to have this battle with Satan, and he's going to win. Okay? Then we have Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 to 3. Oh, it's a good thing I looked. Are we on me? John. There we go. Okay. Genesis chapter 12. Okay. Again, this is written by Moses, approximately 1,300 years before Jesus. This is about Abraham now. And so God speaking to Abraham. Yahweh said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So again, this is way back, 1,300 years ago, that this is being declared, okay? And so Abraham's even further than that ago, but say again. No, no, 1,300 years before Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's what I have up there. Yeah, so 1,300 years before Jesus, okay? Yeah, so 1,300 years ago, yeah, not from right now, but from the days of Jesus, okay? So add our 2,000, and we got 3,300 years ago, okay? And so, um, so God says to Abram that in you all the nations are going to be blessed, and then he reiterates it in verse 18 of chapter 22, where he says, in you... In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So all the nations of the earth, that's us, 
one day would be blessed because of Abram's obedience. Okay, then we have Isaac. Okay, because now it's going to come passed down through Isaac. Genesis 17, verses 19 and verse 21. Then God said to Abram, he said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. He said, but why? I mean, I got Ishmael. He said, no, no, that's not how it's going to happen. I've got the plan. I'm not going by your plan. I'm going by my plan. He says, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And then he goes on and says in verse 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. In other words, you guys didn't trust me. You trusted me to, 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 to bring you this, this promise, but you didn't trust it was going to come through Sarah, Sarai. But this is my plan, not your plan. And I'm going to do it in a way that I want to do it, and I'm going to do it in my timing, not your timing. Okay? So I want you to think about that. God's timing isn't always what? Our timing. That's exactly right. We want to see things happen in this way, we want in, or at this time, and we want to see them happening this way, but God says, no, 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 no. It's my plan. It's my redemptive plan. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, and I'm going to do it in my timing. Okay? You guys just need to chill. Genesis 26, verse 4. God says again, I will make, this is to Isaac himself. He says, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in you, all the seed, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So again, God's now speaking to Isaac. Again, he's making this prophecy that it's going to come through this lineage. So whoever it is who's going to do this has to fulfill these. Now, in a, um, I think it's next week, no, two weeks from now, we'll be looking at the genealogy of Jesus from Luke's perspective. And again, we see that all these things are going to be fulfilled. And so you have up there the, the, um, the fulfillment in Matthew 1, 1 to 17, and Luke 2, 23 to 38, um, that these things indeed are being fulfilled in Christ. Okay, I'm not going through those passages right now, only through the prophecies. Okay, but you can read up there, I have where they're fulfilled, and you can look at those. Okay, and so after Isaac, we have... Jacob, right? And so God reiterates the, the promise to Jacob, okay? And so in Genesis 28, verses 13 and 14, again, still 1,300 years before Jesus, at an, a conservative thing, okay? And behold, Yahweh stood above it, uh, that's above the, 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 um, the ladder that was ascending into heaven, and said, I am Yahweh, God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also to your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's important, okay? Because it's not coming through Ishmael, and now it's not coming through Esau, okay? But God is defining who the blessings are going to come through, okay? And then in Numbers 24, um, 17, this is kind of fun because Numbers 24, 17, okay? This is... Written, uh, spoken by who? Does anybody know who this speaks is? I want you to think about it. I'll read it, and you tell me if you know who speaks it. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Who said that? Balaam, Balaam the false prophet, quote-unquote false prophet. It's the biggest debate. We call him a false prophet. But he spoke truth, and he said, I can only speak what Yahweh puts in my mouth. Balak brought him over in order to curse Israel, but Balaam says, I can't do that. And so he, cur he doesn't curse 
Israel. Rather, he blesses Israel all these times. And when, when Balak had sent his messengers to have him come, he says, well, I can't go unless Yahweh lets me go. And so he goes and he's seeking his face. So I don't know what you do with Balaam. We call Balaam the false prophet because in the end, he told Balak how to where the weak point for if Israel would be, and that is to send your sultry woman in and get, them to get the guys to go after your women, and then when they go after your woman, they'll go after your false gods. And he got money for doing it because he wanted the, 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 the wages of the world. Okay, And so, so from that perspective, but he spoke truth. When God spoke through him, he spoke truth. And so here is this not Israelite prophet, right, but a magi, if you would, of those early days, Okay, uh, a, a man who had the wisdom of God, who spoke and he prophesied that the star would come out of Jacob, the scepter would arise. And so he, he proclaimed that, that it would be through Jacob that this Messiah would come as well. And then we go on, now from, out of, from Jacob, we get it through Judah, because Jacob has how many sons? Twelve. But now we're going to be defined and we're going to be um, specific. Now, when we get to the end of this, in, in, in quite a few minutes from now, we're going to look at some probabilities and statistics here, okay? And so I want you to think about what's happening here, probability-wise, okay? That God is, is making this thing harder and harder and harder on himself, so that when it occurs, there's no doubt that he's fulfilled this thing. And so, from Judah, Genesis 49, 10 um, Jacob says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, again, the word Shiloh is kind of one of these words, but the man of peace is how I would translate that, the one who brings peace comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Okay? From there then, from Judah, now we go into the, 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 the descendants of Judah, and we find out that Yahweh then makes a decision that he's going to work this all through David, Daid. Okay? And so, he wasn't, David wasn't the first king of Israel. Who was the first king? Saul. Because God gave them the king like they wanted, right? They wanted a king. God said, fine, I'll give you a king just like all the other nations have a king, and that was Saul. But he wasn't the one that God had determined that he was going to work his plan through. That was going to be David, okay? Because David was a man after his own heart, right? And so from David we read 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, and this is approximately 700 years prior to Jesus, okay? So we're still way out there that these prophecies are being declared so far in advance. So think about right now, I mean, that would be like us, we are in, what, 2024, so that would be something that was being um, from 13, 1300s, being declared that your son would be born. Isn't it kind of incredible in who it would be coming from? I mean, so we, if you were here about a month and a half ago, that's the days of Wycliffe, okay? That'd be like John Wycliffe making a, a declaration about what would be happening in, in after 2000, okay? And so we read in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let me also state why I said 700 there, because Isaiah is going to be 700. But 2 Samuel, again, wasn't written by Samuel. It was probably written by Isaiah or somebody else. So it was written after the fact. Does that make sense? So, so even again, as the prophecies given by Yahweh to David, it would have been hundreds of years even before 700. But I'm being conservative, you know? So when you go out and you talk to people, people are like, ah, that's not true. You know, so-and-so probably wrote that, and it was only 700 years. 
Okay, fine. It wasn't 900 years before. It was 700 years before. That really makes it a whole lot better, doesn't it? Okay? So anyways, so then we have Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then we saw the, the rest of this in December as we were going through it. And his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then it says, And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it. So this is a prophecy that they were looking forward to, that God had declared, and now Israel was looking forward to it. So again, Messiah couldn't come from any other tribe. He couldn't come from any other branch of Judah. He could only come from the Davidic branch. Okay? So, so this is his lineage, okay? But that's not it. Not just lineage. Now we want to look at location, right? Because we're told the location of his birth. Again, approximately 700 years prior to Jesus through the prophet Micah, we read in Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. And I don't have time to go into that, but that's an amazing verse all by itself, talking about the eternal past of Yahweh, or of Jesus. Okay, So of his birth, but next we have of his flight. Because the minute he's born, right? Now we know Herod wants to come and he wants to destroy all the babies. Well, that's twice talked about in the Old Testament, okay? And so we have approximately 600 and 750 years, respectively. So we have from Jeremiah, 600 years prior to it, Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus says Yahweh, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And this is quoted then, um, in Matthew 22, verse 13, and elsewhere as well, that this was a fulfillment of that moment. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Yahweh declares, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And so Yahweh declared through two different prophets, first of all, that there would be this destruction of the children of Bethlehem um, that was going to come, and that his child would wind up going to Egypt because he was going to call him out of Egypt as well, okay? So regarding the location of his flight, then also the lo location of his growing up. And we talked about this a little bit back in December as well um, when I was discussing this, or maybe it was just a few weeks ago. Actually, it was a few weeks ago when we were talking about that Mary was from Nazareth. Um, and this is of his growing up. And this again comes from the book of from Isaiah, 700 years prior to Jesus. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. And so... Um, Jesus literally grew up in Nazareth, okay? And Nazar is the word there for branch, okay? And so there are, he would be from that, that area, okay? So we continue on now, not just about his um, location, but regarding now his mother, okay? And so we know from Isaiah 7, verse 14, that his mother would be a, an Alma, a virgin, right? So God says, therefore, uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is important because there's other words for a young maiden. That's not the word being used. Rather, this word is being used for, um, uh, of a virgin. And do I have it up there? I do. You can go to Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8, and you'll see a delineation of the queens and wives in the, in the, uh, the concubines and the virgins. Okay, that there's a, a clear distinction that is made in God's word about this this term. Okay, and so that the 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 girl who was going to give birth, she would be a virgin. Now I want you to put that statistically in there. 
I mean, I could throw all the other prophecies out and just have this one prophecy. I mean, do you know any other virgin who ever got pregnant? Miraculously, not at all. You get it? However, this just continues to what? Build the case, right? So we have the, the mother, but here's one that probably you never think about, and that is the prophetic fulfillment of the Magi. The Magi. The Magi are talked about in the Old Testament as well. We have from Psalm 72, verses 8 to 14. It says, He shall have dominion, also this talking about Messiah, from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer, also offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall before him, and all nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, in, in, in him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. And I put this in there because we know this is talking about Jesus. Because again, a little, little bit we're going to talk about prophecies regarding his message. But this is who he is. When Jesus says, when he comes, this is who he's going to be. He's going to be the one who's going to take care of the poor and needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And then we also read then in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. This is really kind of fun for me. The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring what? Gold and incense. Isn't it kind of interesting when the Magi came, what did they bring? Gold, incense, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? And they shall proclaim the praises of Yahweh. And that's what, exactly what they did. They came to worship the newborn king, okay? So prophecies regarding the birth. So we're going to mo keep moving. Prophecies now regarding the ministry of Christ, okay? And so from Mark 1, this is, uh, I love this, again, passage, because this is Jesus speaking. It says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now we don't just have pleroma, but Jesus says he uses it in the perfect tense. If you've been here long enough, you understand the perfect tense is a past action that has what? Continuing results. Okay? So when Jesus is on the cross and he yells, Tetelestai, Tetelestai, right? It is in the perfect sense. It has been finished. It has been perfected. Nothing ever else ever has to happen. It's done. Well, in the same way, Jesus says, it has been completed. So John's ministry was part of that preliminaries. He was the last of the Old Testament what? Prophets. Do you get it? So now the Old Covenant has been what? Fulfilled. It's been completed. He came to fulfill the law in the prophets. He didn't come to destroy them. He came to fulfill them. And here it is. He is what? Fulfilling them. It has been fulfilled. It has been completed. What do you need to do as a response to this? Change the way you think. Repent. Believe the good news. That's it. How cool is that, right? But we're going to continue on with all these other prophecies. But if, even if we had to stop right there, Jesus says, look, as basis of all those things we've already talked about, you need to change the way you think. God's at work. God's in control. God's sovereign. Quit looking at the world like the, way, like the way you look at it. Don't look at sin the way you look at sin. Be theocentric. Be God-centered in everything that you do. 
repent, change the way you think. So his entrance, the first thing we want to look at, oh, I'm sorry, his forerunner. I'm in the wrong section. So his forerunner, this is written approximately 400 years and 700 years respectively prior to Jesus. Malachi, 400 years before him, says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, who's speaking? Yahweh's speaking. So Yahweh says, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And Adonai and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh Sabaoth, okay, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 40, verse 3 and verse 5, talk about this messenger as well. Isaiah, through Isaiah, Yahweh declares, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The glory of Yahweh shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. In Rev, uh, John 1, verse 14, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. John was then asked, he said, are you, are you the Messiah? And he said, I'm not. Are you, are you the prophet? I'm not. Who are you then? He says, I am, and then he quotes this passage, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. And again, it, it, it will have that in your, in your English because it understands it. But there's so many places where, because again, Yahweh's not a Greek word, okay? It's not there, but they understand it's a direct quote. And so they'll have the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But that's a direct quote. Who's, who did John prepare the way for? Jesus. But he's preparing the way for who? Yahweh. And so Jesus must be who? Yahweh. This is a no-brainer for me, okay? So his, his forerunner, secondly then, his messenger, this is what we, his message, this is what we talked about before. Um, Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, the spirit of uh, Yahweh Elohim is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh. And do you know when we get to Luke 4.18, when Jesus stands up in the, uh, um, in the synagogue and he opens up the, the scroll to read, what does he read? <laughs> Isaiah 61. He reads this exact thing and then he says what? Today this prophecy is fulfilled in your midst. All things are being fulfilled. This is it. You know, just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? He says what? I have told you. I've told you plainly. I've told you numerous times. And yet you don't what? You don't believe. The only sign you're going to get, because there's been all these other miracles and signs, and you just kind of reject those, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And on the third day he will what? He raised from the dead. Prophecies being fulfilled, okay? So now we go from the ministry of Christ, now we go into the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Death, burial, resurrection doesn't fit all on there, so we have death and resurrection, okay? So, but assumingly when you have the death, between the death and the resurrection, you have the burial, so it's all there. So we start with his entrance, okay? Again, this is written approximately 1,300 years, 550 years, and 860 years, respectively, prior to the time of Jesus. So stop for a moment. It's always kind of fun for me to think about the scriptures, Think of the Quran for a moment. How many writers of the Quran are there? One. Okay. Now, there were, there were several who got together and they wrote down the writings of Muhammad, but these are all the statements and writings of Muhammad that they put together. What about the Book of Mormon? One is Joseph Smith. When you look at the Bible, 
Do you realize there were 40 separate individuals who wrote over a span of 1,600 years? Now, from the math side, I love that because it's 40 square, okay? 40 times 40, you got 1,600 years. You never thought of that before. It, now you'll be, think, you'll be thinking of that in your shower now instead of singing, okay? <laughs> and over three continents. So think about it. God spanned three continents with 40 guys over a period of 1,600 years and wrote a consistent message such that even now we're looking at prophecies. And I'm telling you that look at these prophecies that, are coming, that we're going to be looking at now from 1,300 years, 550 years, and 860 years prior to the time of Christ. And they all blend together consistently. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Speak to, the, to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month... Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house. You say, what's that have to do? That's all about Passover. Well, you know what? When that instruction was given, they were in the land of Egypt, and they weren't choosing it on the 10th day. They were actually leaving that night. So God was giving them an instruction for later on, something that they would keep remember perpetually. And so God now in this one, we haven't talked about timing yet, okay? And I'm going to stay away from timing a lot. But I want you to understand that God actually gave timing as well as, as, as far as some of this stuff comes. We're going to look at two of them this morning. And this is one of them. We know that when Jesus was going to come and he was going to enter into the city, it would wind up being on the 10th day of Nisan. That kind of gets things a little bit more exact for your Messiah. So when Messiah comes, he can't come on any other day. Do you understand? He's going to have to be chosen, and we're going to see this, as the Passover lamb on the 10th day. And so if you go back to the fulfillment of that, okay, Jesus comes in to, the, to, to Jerusalem, right? And there, we're going to cry out what we're going to see in just a moment from the Psalms, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And they're going to choose him, they think, as Messiah, but what they're doing, ultimately, is they're choosing him as their Passover lamb. And on the next four days... He's going to be tested in the temple by the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, and he's going to be found to be without blemish, because that's exactly not what they're going to do. They're going to choose the lamb on the 10th day, and for the next four days before they sacrifice it, they're going to be examining it to make sure that it, was, it is without blemish, so they have the perfect lamb that's going, to be, that's going to be sacrificed on their behalf. Jesus then is sacrificed on the 14th day of Nisan, okay, at twilight, when the, when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. And so they couldn't find any blemish in him. And you can go th through and look at all the challenges that are laid out that were there before him. It's exciting stuff. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when, when this guy comes, it's going to be on the 10th day of Nisan, and he's going to be riding a... A donkey. Do you get it? In order for the, the Messiah to be who he is, not just the birth has to be right, but now when he comes, he's got to do these things too. Well, from Psalms, we read, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Stop for a moment. I don't want to let that one go by. Messiah is going to be what? He's going to be rejected. Can he control that? I mean, there's so many of these things that I don't know if you noticed so far. He is totally out of his control. He couldn't control where he was born. He couldn't control his lineage. God could, but not just you. you. So, Hunter, you couldn't have decided, oh, I want to be born of Jeff and Cindy. 
and I want to be born in. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that part out of the tape. <laughs> but in Psalm 118, some of my kids probably would say they'd like to be someplace else too. Psalm 118, verses 22 to 27. So the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day Yahweh has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, that is the Hebrew word, Hosanna. So in why it says in the... In the, on the, the New Testament side, it just says Hosanna. They don't translate it as save now, because that's what it says. Save now, I pray, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you from the house of Yahweh. God is Yahweh, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Hmm. So when Messiah would come, he would be rejected. But he would be glorified. He would be honored. And then right after he was glorified and honored, he would be what? He would be sacrificed. It's kind of hard to work all these details, isn't it? His betrayal, written approximately 860 years, 550 years respectively prior to Jesus. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his seal against me. Jesus said that while they were eating together, him who I shared my bread with will do it. Zechariah 11, verse 12 and 13. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you to give, my, to give me my wages, if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And Yahweh said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of Yahweh for the potter. And then in chapter 13 of Zechariah, do I have up there? I do. Yeah. It says, And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? And he will answer me, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. He would be betrayed. Again, that's kind of hard to, to work that out as well. His death, written approximately 860 years, 1300 years, 700 years, and 550 years prior to the time of Jesus. So you know we got a lot of verses coming here, okay? Psalm 22 is a, a massive thing. It starts right off verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard that before? Okay, now again... That, that could be contrived. Jesus could be on the cross, and he could just decide to quote it. No, no, I mean, it's pretty simple. But how did he get on the cross? That goes back to the other part, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to contrive to the cross, because we're going to come down here. Verse 6 to 8 says, I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despised by my people, by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in Yahweh. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Now, who were the ones who were saying this? Pharisees. What do you know about the Pharisees, Chuck? They know the law, inside and out. They know the, word, the law, the word of God, inside and out. Why? Why would they quote the very passage that would prove he's Messiah? Do you get it? And there they are, quoting the very passage that it declares that they would quote he trusted in Yahweh, let Yahweh deliver him. If you really are, then come on down, right? And then we continue on in Psalm 22. It says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Can you be any more uh, 
consistent on this one? Any more clear? They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and steer at me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Do you realize when David was writing this, crucifixion wasn't a thing? When David's writing this, it's not a thing. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that David probably has some things in his mind and he's, he's visualizing things. But God, again, we know from 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. God is breathing through David to write these things that later on he would fulfill in great detail. Jesus couldn't control that. He couldn't control the fact that they were going to put nails in his hands and his feet. Zechariah 12.10 and I, this is Yahweh, will pour out on the house of David on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they have what? Pierced. And so when Jesus comes back, they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced, which means that the Messiah is going to be what? He's going to be pierced as well. We've got to keep moving. Numbers 9, 11, 12. On the 14th day of the second month at twilight, that's only if you missed the 14th day of the first month. Okay? So if you missed the first Passover, you were given an opportunity to celebrate it on the next month. That's why it's the second month, not the first month. Okay? But understand what it says in here as well. On the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. That's Passover. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. The Passover lamb was not supposed to have its lambs or its lambs, its legs, its bones broken. We read it again in Psalm 34, 19 and 20. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but Yahweh delivers them out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. So he guards all his. So up here with the righteous, you could actually put in, if you want, the righteous one. It could be translated as the righteous one. And so many are the afflictions of the righteous one, but Yahweh delivers them out of them all. Again, looking ahead thousands of years, hundreds of years, to the time that Christ was going to come, that not one of his bones would be broken. And so they broke the bones of the thief on the left and the thief on the right. Why didn't they break Jesus' bones? Because he was already dead. And so because of that, just to make sure, they what? Pierced his side. Isn't that kind of cool? How all these things just happen to be Egonetto. It just happened to be, that it came that way. God is in control of circumstances. Do you get it? God's in control of life. There's nothing that's outside of his control. Isaiah 53, we don't have time to go through all this. You can read it, but you know this passage so well, talking about the, what, what Jesus did for us, okay? And again, you read this to a Jewish person, they think you're reading from the New Testament, okay? But it's from the Old Covenant, and it's a prophecy, about what all Jesus would go through, Messiah would go through. Just an amazing thing. Daniel 9, 24. Again, I don't have time, but one thing I want to show here is, again, timing. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be 70, there's seven weeks and 62 weeks. After 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. There were 70 weeks determined for Israel, 490 years. The first um, 483 years we're going to be spent from the, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the cutting of Messiah. The decree to rebuild Jerusalem was from, from Artaxerxes. And you can now, so this is when we get to Ananias, or Anna and, and Simeon, I'm going to bring this back up. You could do the timing. I talked about this in Sunday school a little bit with chronologies. It's amazing. 
Even at this moment, God gave a chronology of the timing Messiah would come. It would be 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And there were two people waiting in a temple for him because they believed God. But the ones who knew, oh yeah, Messiah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem because it says in Micah 5, too, you know, under you, da, 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 da. even the ones who knew didn't believe. How much of this do you really, really believe? Are you really theocentric? Does this book change your life? Are you willing to obey it in its entirety? Or do you pick and choose, like the Pharisees and the scribes? I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on Bob. But it's a share in the wealth card. Do you get it? Because we do. This book is supposed to transform our lives. Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to the world. Don't have that world's way of thinking, but rather be transformed in the renewing of your mind that you may be able to approve what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that you can be theocentric, that everything you're doing is through the eyes of God. His resurrection. Again, there are verses there that you can look at that have to do with his resurrection. But I want to bring this real quickly before we go to the end. And this is the probabilities of all this. So Dr. Stoner, years ago, Peter Stoner, many, many years ago, did a, worked out a probability of just eight of the, 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 um, prob the um, prophecies coming true. And he had a, a group of people um, that, were, um, that worked with him about working on these probabilities. And so you can see uh, the probability that um, Micah 5.2 that an individual would be born in Bethlehem is one out of 280,000 that were born in Bethlehem. So there's a 2.8 times 10 to the fifth probability that someone on this earth at that time would be, pro would be born in Bethlehem, okay? And so Malachi 3.1, he would be preceded by a messenger, conservative estimate at one in a thousand. So because you could kind of work that. You could kind of work it out that maybe you work somebody out to, to, to go before you like a herald. Make sense? And so, so it's a little bit less. Zechariah 9.9, he would enter in on a donkey, one in a hundred. I mean, because you know it's going to happen, so you go find a, what? Go find a donkey, right? And so Zechariah 13.6, betrayed by Judas. Now we're back to one out of a thousand because it's kind of hard to work out the fact that someone's going to betray you, okay? Now you're going to have Zechariah 11.12, that they're going to pay that, that betrayer 30 pieces of silver. Now we have one in a thousand as well. Zechariah 11.13, Judas would try to return the silver. Now we're getting a one, one in a hundred thousand because who wants to turn back money in, right? I mean, I got this money to do something and who's going to take it back in? Isaiah 53, verse 7, he'll make no defense for himself. We haven't talked about that one this morning. But one in 10,000, Psalm 22.16, have his hands and his feet pierced, one in 10,000. So these are just eight of them, okay? Not necessarily the biggies. Okay, and so you take all that. If you don't know if you know how to do probability statistics, but you multiply them together. Okay, so, so with Marcia and I, at this juncture of my life, not when we first got married, but at this juncture of life, I'm probably let's say I'm 80% good, 80%. Okay, I know you might doubt that. Okay, you can go 60. I don't really care. But for my analogy, we'll say I'm 80% good. Let's say Marcia's 80% good. Well, you put the two of us together. That means together we're only 64% good. And you start adding kids to the mix. And all of a sudden, sin's abounding, isn't it? <laughs> and the more kids you have, the more probability of sin you have. Okay? And so the more people you have together in a congregation, the more probability you have of what? 
Sin, I don't care if we're all 90% good, because none of us are perfect, right? You start putting those 90s together, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, man, we're only 15% good here, okay? Well, you put all these probabilities together, the probability of one person fulfilling just these eight specific prophecies is then one chance in 10 to the 17th. That is one in 100 quadrillion. Do you get it? That's just eight of these prophecies. Now, on the back table, I have um, a summary that Chuck did of this whole teaching, okay, that you can grab. If, if there's none of them left, if you want one, let me know, and I'll give it to you. Also, it'll be on the website. In fact, it already is. If you go to the, the listening page for today, I already have a link for that that's, that'll be there. And then I'll have a link on the YouTube page as well for that as well, okay? So, how does this play out? Well, the return of Christ. I don't have time for this, okay? But... But I planned it. Note what happens here. I knew I wouldn't have time for this, okay? And so it's all here. But here's my point. If all that is true of the past, if God has fulfilled and planned and done all these things so that not another grain of sand would be able to fit, do you think he's got a plan for the future? These are all just some of the ones, these are all prophecies regarding the future, and I can go into more because I believe very clearly that there are also prophecies regarding the timing of it. I'm not going to go into those because no man knows the what, the day or the hour, okay? But God has a whole lot of information in there that it shouldn't be taking us by surprise. Let me just share one with you from Daniel chapter 12. I don't even think I have that up there. Daniel chapter 12, that in the time of the end, it says that information is going to abound and and people are going to be traveling to and fro. Information is going to abound. My undergrad work is computer science, mathematics. I graduated in 1987 from Carnegie Mellon University, which was number three in in the country in computers. Okay? So, I I mean, I, I don't mean that pridefully. I'm just saying I didn't go to community college for it, right? I was there at the cutting edge where a lot of stuff Carnegie Mellon was doing, okay? I had no clue in my mind. I couldn't visualize this at all. That, that I was a Trekkie. You'd think I'd love this, right? Beam me up, Scotty. You know, there's no intelligent life down here, right? And so you'd think that of all people being a Trekkie involved with computers and stuff like that, I might be able to foresee this coming. No clue. And now some of you potentially through this time, you might be looking at the Greek, you might be looking at the Hebrew, you might be doing some searching. What's the probability of this? What's the probability of that? And it's all going on right here in this little bitty room. Information is what? Abounding. I can't imagine what it'll look like if God should tarry for another 40 years. God has a plan. He has a timing. He has a purpose. His redemptive plan is being fulfilled just as he has started it from the get-go. So, with all that in mind, how do you view the events that are happening even today? Is God in control? As we look at the world, as we look at this land that we live in, is God in control? Or did he take a nap? Has Satan kind of stiff-armed him? Ah, gotcha! No, of course not. No, God is in control, even though it doesn't necessarily always seem that way. God's timing isn't, again, necessarily our timing. Do you truly believe that, Je- that Christ is going to return one day? And do you believe it could be today? He could come at any time he wants to. 
He's got a plan. And that's why I'm not going to set a day and an hour because you know what? In the end, I'm probably going to be wrong. The minute you set a day and an hour, you're wrong. Now, you might you know, stab on it. Make sense? But it would just be luck. But God knows exactly when he's coming. How does believing that God is sovereign over the affairs of men affect your decision-making? That's really the big one, isn't it? Are you theocentric? Or are you, are you world-centric? Does what the world have and what it does control the way you think? Or does what God's state control the way you think? In that, I want to ask you, I ask you a lot about this, but do you have a time every day where you're reading God's word? If you don't, you are under the sway of the world whether you realize it or not. You have got to put God's teaching in your mind all the time. If this is the only teaching you ever get, you're malnourished. You wouldn't eat that way. Don't eat God's word that way. Jesus said you need to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. You need to be part and parcel with him. You need to be spending time every day reading his word and believing that this is truly the word of God. So in the end, is there a need to change the way you think? and change the way you act. Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the overwhelming um, wealth of prophecies that you have put in your truth. And Lord, I know that I just scratched the surface this morning, and I couldn't even finish scratching the surface. Your plan is amazing, and it's continuing to go on. And you're working that plan in my life and through my life as you are in the lives of these individuals that are here and to those that are in the world, Lord, you desire all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, help us to have that mindset. Help us to have a desire to see all people come to know you, that you may receive the glory, that you may receive the honor, that they may receive a blessing in the joy of knowing you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.